0: this message is for all there are certain days that change our lives forever before and after we mark these days we see these days we live through these days and then we look back at our lives and we remember, okay, that was before that happened or that was after that happened. For years, uh, I heard uh, my elders talk about Pearl Harbor in that way, December 7th, 1941. Things happened before that, things happened after that. But that was a marking day. That was a pivotal day. That was a day that people measured what happened before and what came after. 9-11 would be the same way for most of us. In our family, we will always remember the birth of our sweet Judah on the very same day that our daughter and son-in-law and their boys watched their new house burn. That was November 30th, 2015. Whenever I see a picture of their house, I try to Now was that before the fire or after the fire? Because they built the same house twice within an 18 month period. Before or after? Pivotal days. As an American, July 4th, 1776 is a pivotal day. We mark that day as the date that we as a nation came into being. We think of our history as before July 4th, 1776 or after July 4th, 1776. A pivotal day. A day that changed the world. And of course there are days like this in the Bible as well. Pivotal days that we look at and we say, okay, well that was before the fall. That was before sin entered into the world or that was after sin entered into the world. That dark day in the garden when we took matters into our own hands and we decided that we would decide what was best for us. Not God. And we just recently celebrated Christmas. Now that's a day. That's a pivotal day. The day God showed up on the face of the earth to set things right, to make things as they should be, as they were back in the garden. The incarnation, God in flesh, Jesus Christ born in the town of David. All of human history is marked as before Christ or after Christ. B.C., or A.D., A.D., Anno, Domini, in the year of our Lord. Pivotal days. And today we look at Acts chapter 10. And this is another hugely important pivotal day, and you may have missed it as you read through Acts. But today, in Acts chapter 10, is a life-changing day in the history of the world. It's another B.C. day. But this is not before Christ. This is before Cornelius and after Cornelius. What? Who's Cornelius? Why are the events recorded in Acts chapter 10 so important? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, a passage that is tucked right in the middle of Acts, easy to overlook. Easy to run right through. Easy to miss the significance of what happened. Easy to miss that this is a pivotal day for the people of the world. Help us not to miss it today, Lord. Help us to see what matters. Helps to see who matters. Helps us to see why this is important. So we humble ourselves before you, Jesus, and we ask that you would speak through me, and that we would hear the message that you have for us today. And we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. What matters? Do titles matter? well here in this brief passage of scripture we see several titles that cornelius had he was a soldier he was a centurion which means that he was trusted with a position of authority and leadership he led men he led men into battle he was trusted to lead a large group of men into battle he was a soldier he was a roman soldier the best in the world at that time a leader of soldiers (laughs) Since Cornelius had some titles, you know I have some titles. I'm a husband, father, brother, son, grandfather, printer, preacher, pastor, businessman. And I'll bet you have some titles too. Think about your titles. What are they? We all have titles. Titles can be helpful. They can get us started towards knowing somebody, but titles are pretty inadequate when you get right down to it because they're limited in their usefulness. Titles become obsolete. I used to be known as a grandson, but all my grandparents are gone now. No one calls me grandson anymore. That title is obsolete. So that title is not really useful anymore for me. Other titles are too limiting. I think of titles when I think of Rhonda, my Proverbs 31 woman. Rhonda, she has the title of mother, daughter, grandma, bamar, sister, business owner. All these titles are good and accurate, but to me the most important title is wife. But that title doesn't mean a whole lot to the rest of y'all, does it? Just to me. We do get hung up on titles, don't we? And it would be easy to get hung up on Cornelius' titles. But God didn't leave him there with his titles. What matters? Do titles matter? Do our actions matter? If you look at the first two verses in Acts chapter 10, we see that Cornelius had a pretty good checklist of actions that he participated. He was a devout man. He was a pious man, a pious in the good sense of the word. He feared God. Cornelius led his household to fear God. Once again, we see that Cornelius was a leader. Cornelius gave generously to the poor. Cornelius prayed to God, and not only did he pray to God, he prayed to God all the time. That's a pretty good checklist. Do our actions matter? Well, these are good actions. Four great actions for anybody but God did not leave Cornelius in his titles, and God did not leave him in his inadequate actions, as good as they may have been. And God steps into his life. Cornelius is praying, and he sees an angel. And this angel tells Cornelius exactly what to do send for Peter. Peter's going to give you some more information. Cornelius understood exactly what he was supposed to do. As contrasted with Peter in this passage, when Peter sees a vision, he sees the vision three times. He sees the vision and he actually interacts with the vision and he contradicts the voice of the Lord and he says, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean all my life. Peter did not understand the vision. Cornelius, a lost man, understood exactly what he needed to do. Peter, a saved man, was confused. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say on more than one occasion, he pondered, what does this mean? Cornelius sees an angel, Peter sees a vision. Picking up now in our story, Acts chapter 10, verses 19 and following, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you, Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Verse 23, so he invited them in to be his guests. And that may be the key verse right there. That little throwaway verse there, verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guest. Now to us, that doesn't seem unusual, out of the ordinary at all. If someone came to our house and looked for us specifically and said, hey, I've got a message from God. We would invite them into our home, but not a Jew. A Jew's not going to do this. But Peter's beginning to understand the message. Peter's beginning to understand the vision. So he invited them in to be his guests. Knowing full well that by inviting these Gentiles into his home, it was going to cause trouble in the church. Peter invites the Gentiles into his house. Peter then obeys and goes with The Gentiles, he travels with them. Not only has he invited them into his home and provided lodging for them, now he's actually going to travel with them. And God is getting Cornelius and Peter together because he has something that he wants to accomplish. Now if you're a Jew and you're plowing through Acts, you're right at home because Acts 1 through 10 has basically been about... Jewish people who either accepted Christ or rejected Christ. But the story in Acts is of hundreds and then thousands of Jewish people who accepted Jesus Christ for who he said he was and who his disciples said he was. And then you get to Acts chapter 8, you see that the Samaritans have a revival. And the Samaritans have also accepted Christ for who he said he was. But the Gentiles... Well, and that's us. Everybody here is a Gentile. The Gentiles, we don't show up until Acts chapter 10, really. And Cornelius is our representative. Peter invites these Gentiles into his home. That is earth shattering. That doesn't happen for an observant Jew. Peter travels with these Gentiles to go talk to another Gentile. That doesn't happen. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and following, Peter speaks to the Gentiles who are gathered at Cornelius' house. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. You remember when Peter was pondering the vision earlier? You remember when Peter was troubled? What does this vision mean? You remember when Peter actually disagreed with the heavenly voice and said, No, Lord, I can't do that. Now he says he understands. He says, truly I understand that the whole point of that vision that you showed me, God, three times was that you show no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's the start. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all there's there's nothing that Peter understands not only is god impartial and he accepts anybody who will come to him in faith but jesus christ is lord of all and then he says you yourselves know what happened throughout all judea beginning from galilee after the baptism that john proclaimed how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and with power he went about doing good Healing all who were opposed, oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. There's a title. Peter says, I'm a witness. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach the gospel and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What matters? Do titles matter? Do our actions matter? Who matters? So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I now understand that God shows no partial. Everybody matters. Everybody matters. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, that he is Lord of all. Everybody matters because Jesus is Lord of everybody. Titles don't matter. Actions don't matter. So this leads us to the question, what does matter? Why does any of this matter? And this is the heart of the gospel. This is a pivotal day. Because before this point in time, the message was limited primarily to the Jews and to the Samaritans. But now we are included. This is the good news of the gospel. Salvation is available for all. Through the shed blood of Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're the President of the United States or if you're a sales clerk. It doesn't matter if you're chairman of the board or if you're a ditch digger. Salvation is available through the person of Jesus Christ. Your titles don't matter. Your works don't matter. Only one work matters the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. And this is the good news of the gospel. Your nationality doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're red, if you're yellow, if you're black, if you're white. Because God shows no partiality. People all are precious in his sight. This is the good news of the gospel. I was sharing the gospel with an acquaintance a week or so ago. Do you know what his objection was? His objection was that Christianity claims that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And I said, yeah, I, I own that. I said, we Christians take Jesus' word We take him at face value when he said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We take Jesus at his word. Christianity does make this truth claim because it is true. There is only one way to the Father and it is through his Son, Jesus Christ. And while it is true that there is only one way to the Father, please note that anyone can come to the Father. So the world looks and says, oh, that's bad news. There's, you guys say that there's only one way to, to heaven. I say, hey, this is good news. Anybody can get on the way. Get on the way. Anybody can. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you're black or if you're white. It doesn't matter what country you came from, what country you're going to. None of that matters. All that matters is that Jesus is the way and the way is available to anybody. This is truly good news. The road to heaven is not restricted. If the road to heaven is a toll road, the toll's already been paid. Jesus paid your fare. Just this week, the president made a comment on people who may want to come to America, people who live in less than desirable countries. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day. In some ways, it's a celebration of those who didn't want to come to America, of those who lived in some of those less than desirable areas who were often brought here against their will to work and die, not as people but as property. And I'm not surprised that our nation is still torn on the issue of race or any other issue for that matter. Sin separates us from God and from each other satan is the father of lies he loves to divide and conquer but i say this let's not focus on race let's focus on grace amazing grace the amazing grace of the gospel of jesus christ that is available to all this message is for all father what a great message you've given us but a message of hope to all the peoples of the world. Every single person that we come into contact with, Lord, is, at some point in time, they're going to bow their knee and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they would do it before it's too late. Help us as your witnesses. To know that we have good news that we can share with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers, every single person we come into contact with. And then help us to do it. Because this truly is a message for all. This truly is good news.